Well, it is a day of beginnings. It's the day of, uh, for some of you, this is your first day in college classes. And uh, so that's a beginning for you. Uh, for all of us that are in the room, this is our first uh, chapel of this semester. And it is, as I said a few moments ago, the, the first day of the second decade of NEBC. It is a very historic moment. And first days are always exciting days. There's fun about them. There's excitement about it. It's, there's anticipation of what is coming ahead. And yet, this morning, I want you to take a minute with me to think about not the first day, but the finishing day. I want you to think with me for a minute, and I, I want to ask you the question today, do you want to finish well? Do you want to finish the semester well? Uh, do you want to finish your college career well? For some of you, your master's degree well. Do you want to finish life well? You want to be able to persevere, as our mission statement says, through the ups and downs and the challenges of this life. Everyone in this room have heard me talk about the fact that life is very difficult and you will face up days of great excitement and triumph but you will face days of deep trial and difficulty. And it is hard to persevere through those difficult times. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, we want to finish life well. We want to finish college well. We want to finish the semester well. You know, I, I don't know anyone who goes to college and says, okay, I'm, I'm planning to fail this semester. Or that goes to college and says, you know what, I'm going to quit halfway through my degree program. Uh, people don't do that. I remember my first day of college, and I was surrounded by guys who were my friends. They were becoming my friends very quickly as we met and began to be engaged. And within just a short time, I, I began to wonder about what will happen with each of us that are there. And today, all these years later, I can look back, and there are many of them that never finished college. There are others who finished college and started out in, in life serving the Lord, but then they just kind of threw it all away and went their own direction. It, it is sad to realize that many who start well do not finish well. And the question that I have for you this morning is, how can we finish well? How can you and I finish well? And the answer that I have for us from God's Word this morning is probably going to surprise you. In fact, most likely everyone in this room at one time or another has heard someone say this, if you are too heavenly minded, you will be of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? Sure. Most of us have heard that. Maybe somebody said that about you. I've had people tell me that, Mark, you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. And we think that way. The same thing when we think about the end, when we think about eschatology. Those of you in systematic theology, next semester we'll be talking about eschatology and the end of times. Those in the Revelation class, we'll be talking about that this semester. And when you talk about end time things, I've heard many Christians say, I've even heard many pastors say that, hey, listen, uh, I don't worry about the end time stuff. Because the end time stuff really, you know, I, I don't know anything about it. I don't really understand it all. And, and guess what? I am focused on doing what I can do now. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, the, in the New Testament, the, the emphasis is just the opposite. In the New Testament, the emphasis is on what is coming. 
the emphasis in the New Testament is on having a heavenly mind because if you have a heavenly mind, if you set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, it will impact your perseverance today. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 or your app on your phone or your iPad or your computer or however you have a copy of God's Word with you today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of what's going on in this chapter. It's a, a long chapter. It's 58 verses. And in the very first paragraph, the Apostle Paul defines the gospel. He says, listen, the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So in other words, there's a lot of things that are called the gospel in Paul's day and today, but Paul's saying, no, listen, here's the gospel. The fact is we are all sinners and we cannot save ourselves. We do not deserve a relationship with God, nor can we earn it, but Christ, according to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins, taking the penalty for you and I, dying in our place as our substitute. He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. In fact, the emphasis is on the resurrection, that Jesus physically defeated sin and death in the grave. Now, when we have a loved one who dies, very often people will remind us and say, well, they live on in you. And some people look at Jesus' resurrection that way and say, well, the, the spirit of Jesus is still alive 2,000 years later. But they're not thinking about him bodily defeating sin and death in the grave. And beginning in the second paragraph of this chapter, all the way through verse 49, Paul is showing the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. He says, listen, here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. And by the way, this is not some spiritual resurrection. This is a physical resurrection. He defeated sin, death, the grave. He rose again in his body. And he spends most of this chapter defending the resurrection and giving evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But all of that from the beginning of here's the gospel to defending the resurrection, every bit of it is driving to the final paragraph of this chapter. Now I want you to begin reading there with me in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of sin is death and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, in this final paragraph, the Apostle Paul is doing two things. 
he is showing us the point of the gospel and the resurrection, and he is also showing us how that should impact the way you and I live today. You see, the fact of the matter is, in God's Word, the future impacts the choices we make today. And so that's why God's Word is constantly telling us this. In fact, you will find that throughout the New Testament, the emphasis is Jesus is coming again. And so therefore, make choices today knowing that He could return before this day is over. And that is exactly what He does in this chapter. Now, you want to know how to finish well. There are three things that this paragraph teaches us that we need to understand and deal with so that we can persevere well and we can finish well. Here's the first one. You need to understand the problem of the kingdom. Uh-oh. What? There's a problem with the kingdom? Yes, and we'll see that in the text. In verse 50, he clearly explains a problem with the kingdom. But then secondly, you need to understand the promise of the rapture, beginning in verse 51 and going through verse 57, which is the bulk of this paragraph, he is talking about a future event when Jesus will return in the clouds to receive believers unto himself. And if we understand the promise of the rapture, it will help us persevere. But then the third thing that he tells us in this, in this paragraph that you and I need to grapple with is this. You need to not only understand the problem of the kingdom, you need to not only understand the, the promise of the rapture, but you need to understand how to persevere today. And that's what we find in this paragraph together. So for, look first of all in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you just to stop and think about that statement for a minute. That is a striking statement on August 22nd of 2023. In fact, it is a statement that, that probably causes you to scratch your head. He says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, wait a minute. I thought I was living in the kingdom. I mean, Jesus is king. And he lives inside me through the Holy Spirit. Am I not living in the kingdom? He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. Everybody just take your hand right here for a minute and pinch yourself. You got some flesh? If, there, if you're hearing me right now, there is blood rolling through your body. Trust me, I don't want you to poke it and find out. It's there. All right? You and I are in flesh and blood right now. And he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, I'm confused. What is the, I, the, now you see there's a problem with the kingdom, isn't there? What does this mean? Well, some of you are too young to know this. But the emphasis on the kingdom being now is not really more than 20 or 25 years old though few talked about it prior to that. But in the last 20 years in particular, the focus has been on the kingdom now. Now, there is truth that Jesus is king. In fact, you know what? He's always been king. 
He, he was king before he was born in, in Bethlehem. He's been king ever since there has been anything and prior to that. The fact of the matter is Jesus is king. There is no doubt about that. And as king, he is not only a king, he's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he sovereignly sits on his throne. There is no question about that. And if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior and he has come inside of you to live inside of you through his spirit, then guess what? You have a little taste of the kingdom of God. But I want you to understand that is all it is. It's a little taste. We sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Ladies and gentlemen, the kingdom that God's word promised has not been realized yet. In fact, the description that God's word gives of that kingdom is that Satan is bound. Have any of you experienced the attack of Satan in the last few months? Yeah. You have. Is Satan bound? No, God's Word says Satan is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The, the Word of God tells us that he is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is not bound. He is alive and active right now. That is not the way the Bible describes the kingdom. If, if you are unsure about that, sign up for my Revelation class and be there tonight. All right? And you say, I don't have any more room in my schedule. Audit it then, all right? You won't have to do the work. But listen, that is the kingdom. The lion is not laying down with the lamb. Satan is not bound. And here's the problem. It's a thousand-year period. Now look back at the verse again. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can, does corruption inherit incorruption. What does that mean, corruption and incorruption? What are we talking about? Listen, some of you, or most of you in this room are too young to realize this, okay? But your body is wearing out. Now, I, I remember when I was probably about 10 years old, I, asked, uh, I was asking everybody, who's the oldest person in the world? And at that time that they knew in the modern world, the person that lived along with us was 120-some years. I, I can't remember exactly. It's like somewhere between 120 and 125, somewhere in that range. And I said, my goal is to live to be 130 years old. I am going to set the record. I want to live to be 130 years old. Let me tell you something. Today, I don't want to live to be 130 years old. <laughs> I just don't. Because as you get older, you need glasses. As you get older, your knees hurt. As you get older, you, you injure your shoulder. See, the problem I have, and my wife has been trying to convince me of this for a couple years now, my brain thinks I'm 30, but my body disagrees. And that's the problem that we have in this world. In other words, your body is wearing out. So let me ask you a question. How could you rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years? You can't. You can't. You see, when Jesus was on earth, he said the kingdom is near you because the king was present. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended to heaven right after the disciples asked him, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
And from that moment on, from Jesus' ascension on, the emphasis in the rest of the New Testament on the kingdom is not that it is near, but that it is coming, so you better get ready for it. That's the emphasis from Acts chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 22. You see, the fact of the matter is, is yes, Jesus is king, and if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a little foretaste of the kingdom. But today, we have forgotten that there is still a kingdom to come. You can go on, on Amazon.com and type in kingdom, and you'll get everything. You'll get how to have a kingdom marriage, how to have a kingdom family, how to have a kingdom church, how to have a kingdom business, how to have a kingdom this and that and the other thing. And there is very little written about the fact that Jesus is coming again and that we ought to be preparing for the kingdom that he has promised. It's all about now. Folks, Paul says in this very chapter, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all people most miserable. In fact, earlier in this chapter, Paul said this, listen, if only in this life we have hope, if there is no resurrection, we might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Folks, I am not living for this world, I'm living for the next. When everything is against me, when I am under constant attack from every direction, the reason I persevere is not because there's strength in me, but because I am looking for the return of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why I can persevere. There is a problem with the kingdom, and the problem is, in my current state, I cannot experience the kingdom fully. I only get a little foretaste and by the way in the 20 to 25 years that the evangelical world has de-emphasized the coming kingdom you know what else has happened there's fewer people sharing their faith there's more people compromising the truth of the word of God churches are getting smaller and smaller because if people aren't concerned about Jesus coming back, they can live however they want to and justify it. The fact of the matter is, the problem of the kingdom must be understood. And the problem is this. We're living like we have it all now. But the promises of the kingdom are future. And it impacts the choices we make today. There's a second truth that you need to understand if you're going to persevere and finish well. Number one, you need to understand the problem of the kingdom. But number two, you need to understand the promise of the rapture. Look in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. Doesn't mean that God is hiding it. You know, sometimes we talk about God like he hides things from us. You know, I'm trying to find the will of God. And, and, and it's like we, we say that and we kind of like think he's moving it. You know, he's covering it up. He's putting it under a bushel or something. The, the word mysterion means something that was hidden but is now being revealed. And he says, I tell you a mystery, something that people did not necessarily understand in times past but is now being revealed. And notice what he says, we shall not all sleep. Now... <laughs> College students say amen to that. We don't get much sleep, right? We're pulling those all-nighters to get those papers done. 
that kind of now that's not what he's talking about in the new testament the word sleep is used several times to describe a believer who has died physically and their spirit is with god their body is asleep await awaiting now notice what he says we shall not all sleep now wait a minute i thought that 100 out of 100 people die right i mean even jesus died right so what is he talking about? We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, really? Yes. That's exactly what he said. Not everybody is going to die. He said, wow, where do I sign up? Well, let's look on. He said, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Otherwise, we couldn't, we couldn't serve with God for a thousand years or with Jesus for a thousand years, ruling and reigning. And so then he goes on. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. And I want us to... Think through this very quickly together, what he's describing. He's describing the rapture. There are only three passages in the New Testament that deal directly with the rapture. One of those is this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58. Another one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13-18. through And the other one is John chapter 14, verses 1-6. through And in those three passages we find statements about the rapture, about Jesus coming not physically clear to the earth, but coming in the clouds, and all those who have trusted Him being caught up together with Him in the clouds. And that's what He is describing here. <coughs> he says at that moment when that happens, those who have died trusting Christ, Right now, by the way, their spirit is with the Lord, right? The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But their body is decaying or decayed. And so he says, listen, when the rapture takes place, when Jesus comes in the clouds, those spirits will come with him and be reunited with a new, resurrected, glorified body. What's the point that he's been driving to in this chapter? Because Jesus rose from the dead. If you have trusted him, believing in the gospel, you've turned from your sin and trusted Christ, one day you will rise even though you may die. See, I have brothers and sisters in heaven. My oldest sister and my brother just older than me. I have parents in heaven. I have a lot of good friends in heaven. Some of them I haven't seen for a long time. In fact, uh, tomorrow will be the 22nd anniversary of my dad's home going. I haven't seen him in 22 years. I haven't seen my mother since I was 16 years old. I've never seen my oldest sister. But the fact of the matter is, is there's coming a day where his, their spirits will be reunited with a new glorified body like Jesus' body, a body that is not corruptible or wearing out, but a body that is incorruptible. Not a mortal body that can die again, but an immortal body that will live forever. 
say, well, what will that body be like? Well, look at Jesus. After the resurrection, he could be seen. He could be touched. He could eat. But he had a body that would not die, a body that would not suffer pain, a body that would not ever need to see a doctor or surgery of any kind, a, a body that uh, can enjoy serving the Lord, a body that is recognized by others and recognizes other people, and a body that will never even face the temptation to sin again. That is the kind of body that they are waiting for. But notice what it says. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed. You see, if Jesus were to come back while I am preaching this message, then first of all, all of those who have died trusting Christ, their bodies would be reunited with their spirit and they will receive a glorified body. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be, as, as 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, caught up, snatched up, raptured up is the, is the, is the Latin word. Carpazzo is the Greek word. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will be changed. We will also receive a glorified body that is incorruptible and immortal. What an exciting moment that will be. Now, did you remember where we stopped reading? Look back there for just a minute at verse 54, the very end. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. I want to tell you a hard reality. We do not have victory over death right now. Death is painful. If you've ever lost someone you care about, you know the pain of death, the grief that you experience. The closer you are to them, the more painful it is. We, we know that they're better off because they're spirits with the Father. But the fact is, death is our enemy and it hurts. I've been with many, many people when they died. I've been with believers and I've been with unbelievers. And I've seen believers and unbelievers have an easy death. As easy as can be. Their pain was controlled. They were there one minute. Talking to you. And then gone the next. But I have also been with believers and unbelievers who had an extreme, hard, painful fight. I was with one of my brother-in-laws who, who died in November of 2000. And about three or four hours before he died, we had our last conversation. We always had this thing about who wrote the book of Hebrews, and he looked up at me and says, I'm going to know who wrote Hebrews before you. And I said, and when you get there and find out it was Luke, I can't wait to get there and tell you I was right. But we had just a few words, and then all of a sudden, everything turned bad. And he had one of the hardest fights that I've ever seen in the last several hours of his life. It's painful. Listen, don't let the world fool you guys. Death is our enemy. 
And in this life, we do not have victory over death. Notice what it says, then, at the rapture, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Then victory will be won for every believer. Never to die again. Never to lose a loved one again. Never to walk through that pain again. Over, done, victory. It's settled now, but it hasn't been experienced yet. Why is that? Well, because he says at that point, we'll say, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? And then he answers his own question. He says, listen, the sting of death is sin. The reason death hurts... The reason death even exists is because of sin, because we've broken the law of God. we moved against the character of God. We've disobeyed God. And the strength of sin is the law. The law tells us we've done wrong. And then he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All the way back to the first paragraph, if you trusted Christ, you now have the promise that because Jesus rose, you will rise because Jesus defeated death. One day you'll have victory over death. What a day it'll be. I can't wait. I can't wait. The Apostle John says, as he's concluding the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, and verse, or 22 and verse 20, he says, Jesus says first, I come quickly. And then John says, even so come, Lord Jesus. John's saying, I'm waiting. I'm ready. Come on. I want it. I want to ask you a question today. I want you to be honest. You don't have to say it out loud. You can even hide your face from me if you want in case you, you, you cringe. But I want to ask you to ask yourself a legitimate question today. Would you be excited if Jesus came back right now? Listen, if not, then when this chapel's over, you need to go to the prayer room and spend time with him. Because if the prospect of seeing your Lord doesn't excite you, there's something wrong in your life. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If you don't, you need to trust Him today. Maybe you do know Him. I was preaching 1 Thessalonians 4 one time, and I had a guy come up to me after church, said, Preacher, can I talk to you? And I said, Sure. And we went aside privately. He said, Listen, I'm not afraid for Jesus to come back. If He come back right now, I would know, I know without a doubt that I would go to be with Him because you know what? He's forgiven me of my sins. I've trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. And I know that, that if He was to come, I would come. And I said, man, I'm so glad to hear that. He said, wait a minute, preacher, I'm not done. I'm not afraid for Him to come back, but I'm ashamed for Him to come back today. Because if He was to come back right now, there are things that I should be doing I'm not. And there are things I shouldn't be doing that I am. And I know I'd be with him. I'm not afraid for him to come back. But I don't want him to come back quite yet because I'm ashamed of the choices I've been making. You see, let me tell you something. If you knew without a doubt 
that Jesus was coming back between 6 o'clock tonight and 6 o'clock tomorrow night, you would do things different the rest of this day. You would make different choices. Listen, when Jesus was on earth, He said when He comes back, He wants to find us doing what He told us to do. Listen, there would be no greater thing for you as a student than to be doing your studies to the glory of God when Jesus comes back. There would be no greater thing for the faculty and staff of this college than to us being faithful to the call of God on our life despite challenges. Yes, students, we face them too. No, we don't take tests in the same way you do anymore. Well, some of us do because some of us keep taking other classes and learning too. But we face tests in life, as you will, the rest of yours. And despite the challenges to be found faithful, when the trumpet sounds, there's nothing better. Listen, we need to understand the problem of the kingdom. We need to understand the promise of the rapture. And finally, in the last verse, we need to understand how to persevere today. Look what he says. Therefore. See that word? Therefore. In other words, because of everything he has said in this paragraph. In fact, everything he has said in this chapter. Because the gospel is real. Because Jesus' resurrection is real. And because Jesus' promise to return for all those who trust Christ and give you a glorified body where you will rule and reign with Him for a thousand years and then enter an eternal kingdom following that. Because all of that is real, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. In other words, when everything seems to be a problem, when there are challenges coming at you constantly, when you feel like, I can't get this done, I don't feel like getting this done, when you get all of the, the stress of life thrown at you, maybe problems related to your schoolwork, maybe problems related in your family, problems related in your finances, problems related... Listen, there are problems everywhere in this world. And when all of those are happening, how you remain steadfast is therefore, because Jesus is coming again. Listen to me. The rapture and the hope of the rapture causes us to be steadfast today. You know why the president don't quit? The president don't quit life? The way the president doesn't say, man, that's just too hard. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Yeah, I think I'll go do something a little bit easier. Do you know why the president don't quit? Because, man, I know Jesus could come back today, and when he comes... I want him to find me being steadfast to the call he's placed upon my life. Because he's coming, be steadfast. Because he's coming, be immovable. Tyler flew out to help us drive the last three days. Thank you, Tyler. That was nice. <laughs> I appreciate it very, very much. In fact, him and Michaela insisted uh, that they do that uh, to help me. And uh, on this, they knew it was going to be rough, and it was. And so it was nice to have help loading and unloading. You don't understand until you uh, have all of the challenges that we have. Uh, I used to go with a little 
kind of the little bag you could just stick up in the thing. Now, when I travel with my family, I have, what, three, four, five, six, seven bags and a nice chest. <laughs> and those had to be loaded and unloaded every day. And uh, then, uh, you know, Tyler gets there, and now he's loading and unloading them. <laughs> that was pretty good, Tyler. Thank you. But Tyler was riding with us, and we were talking about being immovable. And I told him about, I said, you heard about the, the preacher that got up one Sunday, and everybody was back row Baptist. They were all sitting back there. And he noticed it. So before the service started, he got up, and he says, listen, he said, I'm going to ask in our opening song today, we're singing the first song, everybody just move up and take the first row and start filling up till, till there's no rows left, and that's as far back as we'll go. Instead of being back row Baptist, we're going to be front row Baptist, all right? Let's go. And the music pastor gets up and he says, uh, we have a different hymn than the one that we had planned today. Let's sing, I shall not be moved. You know, and that's kind of the idea, you know, immovable. But what this means is being immovable from the truth of God's word, the gospel message, not compromising it, and doing what God has called you to do no matter what. Students, I want to say a word to you right now. If you finish your degree at this college that you set out to finish, you will lay a foundation for your life of not quitting before you're done. But if you quit when it gets tough, you will start a pattern in your life that will happen over and over and over and over again. It is crucial that you learn to be immovable in the call of God in your life. But then, not only steadfast and immovable, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, you need to understand something about those two words in English, always abounding. Number one, it means always, okay? It doesn't mean always except for my circumstances, Lord. It means always. But number two, abounding means superabounding in the Greek language. It means to always abound over the top. You say, oh, that's so hard. Yeah, it's hard. But don't forget who God used to write this. This is the guy who, who wanted to go to Asia and God said no. Then he wanted to go to Bithynia and God said no. So he said, God, where do you want me to go? And he says to Philippi. And when he got there, he got beaten within an inch of his life and thrown in prison. And at midnight, instead of saying, oh God, I knew you shouldn't have sent me here. He was singing praises to God. He learned how to superabound. And you and I need to learn how to superabound. And how do we do that? By remembering that Jesus could come back today. And if he does, I want him to find me faithful to the call that he's given me in my life. And then finally, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen to me, there will be times where you feel like all your work is for nothing. Because you're not seeing the results you want to see. Talk to Jake. I don't know, a week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? I can't remember. Right after you got back. And you, we all, those of you who know Jake, know that earlier in the year he went on a mission trip and just had all kinds of people get saved. And so I asked him, I said, how'd your summer mission trips go? Great. And he's telling me about them. 
And so I'm just waiting for him to say, and X amount of people got saved. And he didn't say that. And I said, well, how many trusted Christ? He said, well, none. And I said, you know what, Jake? That's, I, I want you to learn something. I want you to learn, if you haven't figured it out yet, that success is obedience. The results are between God and those individuals. But you being faithful to do it. And there will be times where you work with everything you got and everything is against you. And it gets hard, but you persevere and it gets harder and you persevere. And then you begin to look around and say, how come I'm not seeing the results I want to see? And you'll want to quit with everything within you. And in that moment, you need to remember Jesus is coming back. And no matter the results, when that trumpet sounds, I want him to find me right where he placed me, doing right what he called me to do. Knowing that my labor is not in vain in the Lord. Success in the Lord's work is about simple obedience. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. With no one looking around, music is going to come. I'm just going to ask Dr. Frisch to come and just begin to play. And as he plays, I want you just to take in the quietness of your heart. And I want you to ask yourself a few questions. Question number one, do I really want to finish well? I'm starting well, but do I want to finish well? I want to finish this semester. Do I want to finish my degree program? Do I want to finish ministry, life? Do I want to finish it well? I believe all of us are answering that question right now. Yes, I do. I want to finish well. I don't want to be a castaway. I want to finish well. So let me ask you a second question. Are you looking for the rapture? Are you waiting with anticipation for Jesus to come back? I like to say it this way, my eyes on the sky and my ears tuned listening for that trumpet. Can you say that today? Listen, if not, ask the Lord, Lord, show me why that doesn't excite me. And if you're here and you're in, in doing that, you realize that the reason you're not excited is because you're not sure, without a doubt, that heaven's your home and that you would go to be with him. And listen, the message is very clear where we started this sermon. Christ died for your sins, according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again. Right now, He offers you forgiveness of sins and a assurance of a relationship with Him now, a foretaste of what He has prepared for you in His kingdom in the future. If you'll just turn from your sin and trust Him, don't even wait. Do it right now in the quietness of your own heart right there. Say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me and you rose again. And right now, I ask you to forgive me. And I trust you and you alone to be my Savior. Listen, if you've done that for the first time today, I'd like to know it. 
The Bible tells us that if you turn from your sin and trust in Christ for the first time in your life today, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. I'm going to ask today, if you've done that, I'd like to rejoice with you. Would you just put your hand up and right back down if you've trusted Jesus for the first time in your life today? And if you're here and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I ask you, are you ready? Are you looking with anticipation for Jesus' return? If not, what's the Lord showing you as the reason? Are there things that you should do you're not doing? Are there things you shouldn't be doing that you are? Just confess them. He tells us that to his children, he says, if you confess your sins, that he'll be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're not ready this moment. If you confess your sins, you can be ready immediately. And then all of us just, let's ask the Lord, Lord, help me to keep my eye on the sky and my ear tuned, waiting for that trumpet. And help me to choose the decisions before me, whether in my education, a class, doing my work, doing my work study, serving in my ministry practicum, whatever it is. Lord, help me to make choices based upon the the knowledge that you could return at any moment. Help me to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it teaches us and instructs us. Now, Father, I pray as I prayed before as we started today. God, that we would leave here worshiping you by the way we respond to what we've learned. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.